Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. What's it like to be a child prodigy? Here from a boy who became a chess master at the age of 10 on one of the things he loves most about the game. I mean, there's many things. You know, after the first four moves of the game, there's like three mil billion ways to end the game. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. And what does one of a pair of siblings who began college at seven years old think about the term child prodigy? I think, you know, child prodigy, you know, it shows that you, I'm not going to say master because, you know, no one is mastered anything, but, you know, you're advanced in that field considering your age. And get to know one of the youngest members of the High IQ Society, Mensa, who joined it when she was two. Here's what her mom noticed about her before finding out that she's got an IQ of 146. We could give her a vocabulary word in the day, and then somehow later that day she's still repeating that word, and it's, you know, a two, three syllabic word. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's coming up next on Audacious, right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Sometimes I feel pretty smart. You know, like when I make mac and cheese and I use the lid of the pot to squish the, the cheese bag. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, you, you cut one end of the pouch of the melted cheese and kind of like hang it into the pot with the cut open side of the bag hanging down and kind of resting on top of the macaroni. And then you press the lid down on it and you pull the bag out real slow so the you know the lid sort of squishes the cheese out of the pouch and into the pot do you know what I'm talking about anyway it makes me feel pretty smart but I didn't get into Mensa at the age of two like the person you're going to meet at the end of the show and I didn't start college at seven like the siblings you'll also meet later in the show and I didn't become a chess master at the age of 10 like Tani Adewumi did after only playing for a year while experiencing homelessness as a refugee, today you're going to meet some amazing child prodigies and find out, well, how life is different for them and how their lives are also just the same as the rest of us. And even though that kid in Mensa just reached the ripe old age of four, she's got some really good advice about leadership for you. Seriously. But let's get back to Tani. He's 11 years old now, and after fleeing Boko Haram in Nigeria and coming to the United States in 2017 with his family, he rediscovered chess, and clearly it just clicked for him. As if being a chess master isn't enough, he also co-wrote My Name is Tani, and I Believe in Miracles, the amazing true story of one boy's journey from refugee to chess champion. But we'll get to that. I wanted to know, what was his first memory of chess? My very first memory would likely be with my brother in Nigeria, where he made like um, clay pieces and he used paper for the board. That was probably the first thing. So talk me through how you came uh, to the United States. What happened? So basically, there was Boko Haram um, in Nigeria, and they were um, coming after us, uh, trying to kill us. Um, we're this close to death. My dad jumped over a fence and then they thought it was the police and then um, they ran. And then like later on, we came to America. Do you miss your home? No, I don't. Not at all. So you get to the United States. How does chess come back into your life? Um, okay, that comes very later, maybe like a year later after we moved. Um, after we went from Dallas, okay, we went to New York. And then I, my mom enrolled me into the school. Of course, a public school, so it's free. Then um, Coach Sean, it was like the like the second head of the the chess club. He used to come to our third grade class and just like you know teach us um, like twenty minute lectures of chess, how to move the pieces, etc. So I got interested in it. Also, there was nothing else to do um, since we we're at the shelter, so um, I got interested in it, and then. I was able to enter the chess club because they waived the fee because of where we were at that time. We couldn't pay $360. Oh, 
So you're experiencing homelessness. You're going to public school. You do find time to sleep, but the rest of your time, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 hours a day sometimes is chess, chess, chess. What is it about chess that you love so much? It, it gives me something to do. And, you know, it's very interesting. I mean, there's many things. You know, after the first four moves of the game, there's like three mil billion ways to end the game. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. What is your favorite piece? Probably the knight. Um, because the knight is very tricky. In any situation, if you just put a knight on the board, it can be very, very powerful. Versatile. Versatile, yes. All right, so take me back to May of 2021. That's when you went to the Fairfield County Chess Club Championship Tournament. What happened there that day? So I was very excited. Um, I knew beforehand that if I won all four games that I would get National Master and I'll win the tournament. So I was very excited. And um, we, like, usually when we go to the chess club, we have a place where we sit. Um, we try to get there as quick as we can so we can occupy the space because it's a very calm like room in the in the chess club. So when we were starting the first game, I won. Second, I won. Third, I won. And then the last game was very important because I could have made a draw. My opponent wanted a draw because if you repeat move three times, then a draw will happen. But I was like, why not go for it? So I went for the win and I won. So, yeah. I was very happy. Um, we took a lot of pictures and um, it was very exciting. What kind of people were you up against there? Were you the only kid? I was not the only kid. Um, I was the only, I don't know, because there was a lot of smaller kids, like six-year-olds, five-year-olds. Babies. Yeah, babies, yes. Um, <laughs> but in around my section, it was I was probably the only kid. Now, for those who don't know what it means to be a master, what does it mean? What did that mean to you? And what did it mean to your career? How, 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 how are you different from a non-master besides being called a master? You know, chess can never be mastered. But in the title of master, it just shows that you got somewhere in the game. It's just like um, a milestone. Before you play, do you ever get nervous? Chess is very nerve-wracking. Anything can happen. When someone's stronger than you, there's nothing you can do with. They're stronger than you. So there's no way you can, like in basketball, you can get lucky. You can, you know, throw a shot and make it, you know, beat LeBron James, Stephen Curry. Like, um, you can get lucky. But in chess, when someone's stronger than you, they're stronger than you. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. So it's very nerve-wracking. But in a tournament, when I'm competing, you know, I try to be calm. I try to relax so that I can do my best. Um, but there's always that 10%, that 20, 30% that's always, is very nervous. And then the rest of the 70, 75%, you know, 90%, that one is just, you know, being calm and play, play my best. Do you ever like picture, <laughs> it's funny, you said that after the first four moves that there's, you know, many billions of possibilities do you ever picture it to the end? You know, do you picture Tani winning and just let the blanks fill in from there? Yeah, I do a lot. First, I think about the game, but then I think about the end, you know, what happened, look in the future or something like that, right? Yeah, like how it feels. Yeah, how it feels like that. Like, look, a um, couple moves deep to see how the position can change, you know, less more, less pieces, less pieces, you know, till the end game. So, yes, I, I can do that. Yeah, I do that a lot. Because you're able to think, what, at least 20 moves in advance, uh, give or take, uh, that boggles my mind. And it makes me wonder what you think about intelligence. And I know that intelligence is a slippery thing, right? Like some people think there are multiple kinds of intelligences. Some people think you are or you're not. And some people think you can learn to absorb information, store information, retrieve information. You can learn to, you can learn to get better at that stuff. So I, I know, I don't mean to put the entire question of intelligence on you, Tani, but if anyone could figure it out, it's you. What do you think about intelligence? Is it something we can get better at? It depends the way you think of intelligence. Um, as you said, it could be you're, you're intelligent or you're not intelligent. You're smart, you're not smart. Because there, there's many kinds, you know, someone could be intelligent in basketball, 
But when it comes to school, they're not intelligent, not at all, like F's everywhere. But in chess, um, there's, I don't know, as many intelligence as there could be. You know, someone could be intelligent and being tactical. Someone could be intelligent and aggressive. Um, someone could be intelligent in um, dynamic positional play. Um, someone could be intelligent in so many ways, so many ways at all. Someone could be intelligent in the opening, know how to um, swindle their way out of, you know, bad positions or convert. They could be intelligent in converting. So there's many types of intelligence. It could be in chess or it could be in comparing basketball and school. Because many people think, okay, school, you have to have A's, A's, A+. Plus. You have to be intelligent. That's the only way you can be intelligent. But there's many ways to be intelligent. Now that you're so good at this game, I'm wondering if you are always like seeking out players who are better than you. Because like I've heard you say that when you lose, you learn. And so do you seek out more loss so you can learn more? Seeking loss. So I, I, I really like to challenge people who are stronger than me. If I had an option to choose, you know, babies or grandmasters, I would choose a grandmaster because if you want to be a grandmaster or be the world champion, you have to play the world champion self. If you couldn't, play chess like if you if chess was wiped from your mind like every time you see a chess board it just looks like like a fancy cutting board or a piece of art it does not compute to you that this is a game it's not a game you know how to play it is gone how do you think you would be a different person without chess how would i be a different that's a great question um i would definitely be less competitive and I wouldn't see things in the same way. It wouldn't visualize to me. Like, for example, if someone is like in a random position and they want to make a plan, it's the same thing in life. You want to make a plan, get a job, you know, be successful. Like you have to do things like, um, okay, sack something, you know, so like sacrifice a bishop or sacrifice a piece. It's just like in life, maybe sacrifice your home or sacrifice um, a job, maybe get entrepreneur or something like that, right? So I would definitely be less competitive. I wouldn't see things the same way. We were talking earlier about how you came to the U.S. as a refugee from Nigeria and you were in a homeless shelter when you became a chess master. First of all, how, how are you and your family faring now? Um, we're great. Um, we have a home. Um, we have our own rooms, and yeah, I mean, it's great. It's it's great. So, what are your goals, Tani? I want to become grandmaster. Definitely, it's it's the highest level in chess, considering titles. The highest level is world champion, of course, but considering titles, um, grandmaster is the is the highest level. Considering, and that means like you've won a certain amount of games. It doesn't mean you've won a certain amount of games. It's basically you've got to a certain level. So when getting grandmaster, like the you have to do things to get something, just like you have to train to be um, to you know beat Messi or something like that, right? So you have to win norms, play like a, a certain performance in tournaments, and you also have to have a rating rating category. So which is twenty five hundred. I think when um, adults hang out with kids, we don't expect them to be smarter than we expect them to be, right? And I wonder when you do interact with new adults who maybe don't know who you are or what you've accomplished, are they ever like surprised at your brain? Okay, yes, they're definitely surprised because of, you know, I'm going to be an adult soon. Um, when I mean soon, I mean like 30, 40, um, 20 years. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like a lot of adults would think, okay, um, I went to college, I passed, so I should be more intelligent than them. I should be smarter. But um, a kid could be you know, smart in another thing and that an adult isn't because not everybody is the best at something. Like um, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Michael Jordan, right? You know, they're good at basketball. Um, uh, Messi, Ronaldo, um, Mbappe, all those people, they're good at soccer. 
Kion, you are, you know, good in interviewing people, radio show. Thank you. So many people are good in their certain things. So that's what I would say. So they're very surprised when they see someone is extremely good at something like that. When people think about chess, I know it's gotten a resurgence lately. Uh, the Queen's Gambit was was a big deal in getting people to explore chess. Maybe. I still haven't even finished episode six. What? I haven't finished it yet. Okay, okay. You've got you've got other things to do. That's fair. But I wonder if you were to say, hey, want to play chess with me? They would be like, oh, no, chess, it's complicated. I don't want to. I just probably not. I would be terrible. Yeah. What would you say to those people? I would say to them, don't judge a book by its cover. Like a lot of people, when they start chess, they lose two games. I, I don't want to play chess anymore. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And then they just quit. Just like you don't have to, you know. Um, I'm going to say as Capablanca said, um, very strong player. He said that you're going to have to lose hundreds and hundreds of games before you become a good player. And you can't always win. You're going to have to lose. When someone starts skateboard, they're going to fall. Guaranteed, they're going to fall. Can't be perfect. So I would say to them, don't judge a book by its cover. Keep going and just, just learn. Just learn. Just enjoy the game. Well, chess master, Tani Adewumi, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. When we get back, meet siblings who began college at the age of seven and what they think parents shouldn't do when nurturing the brilliance of their kids. Not to push your children down any sort of set path, but allow your children to find what they're passionate about and support them in what they're passionate about. And meet one of the youngest members of Mensa, who just turned four, and her mom. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. Individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal. For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging. Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers. So we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. It would have been easy for me to feel intimidated by this show about child prodigies. I mean, later, you're going to meet a child who became the youngest member of Mensa at the age of two. And this brother and sister you're about to meet, they began college at seven. That's seven with an S. I've got my alphabet and numbers down pat. But you know what makes people not feel intimidated? Jokes. So before you meet Tanish and Tiara, I want you to hear Tanish when he was 11 years old. Telling jokes on Conan O'Brien's Late Show. I've got some science jokes, so... Okay, all right. Let's hope um, you understand them. <laughs> okay, the first joke is... Okay, so why can't you trust atoms? Why can't you trust atoms? I don't know. Because they make up everything. <laughs> That's good. Okay. A neutron walks into a bar and asks... A neutron walks into a bar? Okay. Yeah, they, these are just theoretical situations. <laughs> okay. A neutron walks into the bar and asks how much for a drink. The bartender says, for you, no charge. <laughs>
even though he had a promising and I'm sure lucrative future as a stand-up comic, Tanish Abraham chose instead to get his BA in biomedical engineering at 14 years old. He's now an 18-year-old PhD candidate in biomedical engineering at the University of California, Davis. And Tiara Abraham is now a 16-year-old graduate at the University of California, Davis, with a bachelor's in vocal performance. The siblings joined me from Sacramento, California, and I started off by asking Tanish, when and how did he realize that he was exceptionally smart? In kindergarten, I was reading at you know, maybe fourth or fifth grade level and you know doing math at a much higher level compared to other students my age. So and that's when I first kind of realized that I, I guess have this gift or I'm, I'm a little special or something like that. But my parents realized it when, when I was you know, basically a baby or a toddler when my mom was, you know, trying to, you know, for example, my mom was reading different story time books or stuff like that and would ask me questions about the book and things like that. And I was able to already understand and I wasn't able to really speak well yet at that time, but I was still able to like point out to different things in the book and try to give answers to my mom that way. Um, and so this was, you know, very young, I guess, um, like, you know, just a few months old, I guess. And so my mom figured at that point that there's something different about me. So from a very young age, my mom realized that, but I only realized it when I was about five years old in kindergarten or something like that. Tiara, what about you? Well, what do you remember about realizing like, oh, yeah, me too? Yeah, I mean, so as a singer... Um, you know, I, I mean, I've always just been singing my entire life, you know, um, and I, I guess I was exposed to classical music pretty early on before I was even born. You know, my mom would, apparently my mom would always listen to classical music on the radio, uh, you know, Mozart and Beethoven. And, you know, I guess when I was just singing, you know, simple songs like Happy Birthday or, or Nursery Rhymes, I was singing it, you know, in a different style, you know, not just straight tones, but with vibrato, um, which is definitely something you don't really hear in toddlers. Uh, and I guess that's, yeah, when my parents heard and realized that's so different. Um, but, you know, I guess music has always been a part of my life. And, you know, I just always sing it, you know, back at home. And when I was around six or seven, I think that's definitely when I realized, like, I want to be a musician, a singer. And so, you know, we, my parents... I wonder where you think it comes from, because when you've got a little child singing with vibrato, connecting deeply with Mozart and Beethoven, like, do you think that there's some otherworldly stuff here, or is this all just the neurons and electricity and fantastic luck in your brain and how it formed? Like, what, what do you, I'd love to hear from both of you what you make of it. I, and maybe it's, you know, genetics, because I do, we do have a couple of, uh, uh, singers, you know, in our family, you know, but like, I do think it is a God-given talent, uh, you know, trying to make use of that, you know, and to be able to recognize that talent is, is really important. And, you know, that's what uh, my family has been able to, you know, really support me in pursuing what God has given to me. So, What about you, Tanish? There definitely is a background of, of science in our family, but it's a God-given talent that uh, I'm, I'm lucky that it's been nurtured and I've been able to pursue my dreams. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's all I have to really say about that, but yeah. You've brought up your parents a couple times, and I wonder how much of an influence do you think they were, are, in how your brains work? You know, if you'd had totally different parents and raised in a totally different household in a totally different part of this world, do you think you'd be as smart? Uh, of course, yeah, I think definitely think my parents, our parents have definitely played a, a huge role in nurturing our talents and, you know, helping us achieve our goals. So, yeah, I, I don't know if, if we were in a, in, a, in a different household, 
or you know, with different parents or different environment altogether, it's I guess up in the air whether or not we would be able to to develop as well, and whether or not our talents would be nurtured, um, and we would be able to you know follow our passion. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think our our parents had a huge role in you know helping us develop and helping us reach where we are right now. I wonder about labels. Uh, there's something about the label child prodigy that I feel like it's heavy, you know, there's a lot to it. And so when you hear that, that label of child prodigy, how does it feel? How do you respond to that? I prefer child prodigy compared to genius. Cause I feel like that's like an all round, you know, like term or whatever, but like child prodigy, it, at least it shows that you're a prodigy in a certain uh, field. Uh, and, you know, for me, you know, that's music, you know, again, it could be chess, uh, you know, so I think, you know, Child Prodigy, you know, it shows that you, you know, you are advanced and I'm not going to say master because, you know, no one is a master in anything, but, you know, you, you're, yeah, you're advanced in that field considering your age. Yeah, about about the term Child Prodigy, I think also, I mean, the one, I guess, maybe disadvantage of the term could be that it kind of de-emphasizes the amount of hard work that a child or a person is putting into their field. Like, and not that everything just magically comes easy for us. We, of course, have to put in a lot of hard work to achieve our goals. And I think that the term child prodigy, maybe you kind of don't think about that when you hear the term child prodigy. You just think, oh, it's a kid who can do everything or who can do everything in that field or whatever. Um, so that would be the one major disadvantage of the term because at least I think that, yeah, certainly there are some aspects of us that, you know, you know, we're advanced in certain fields, but at the same time, a lot of what we've been able to achieve is because of the hard work that we've put into you know, what we're doing. So um, that's kind of the main disadvantage I'd see with the term. When you think about anyone who's listening to this show who is responsible for, for raising children, and they are thinking, well, I don't think this kid is maybe a child genius, but this kid is smart. Like this kid has just like every kid has possibilities and I want to be able to help them grow as efficiently and broadly and richly as possible. What advice do you have for people who want to make sure they nurture the brilliance of the children that they're looking after? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question because, you know, of course we, we, we do get questions from parents. My mom gets a lot of messages and stuff of like, you know, was there anything special you did during pregnancy or anything special you did? And of course my mom was like, no, I didn't do anything special. Um, Except uh, listen to classical music on radio. <laughs> you, you know, that, maybe that or just take some supplements or, yeah, so there's nothing really special. And like, do we eat anything special? But like, we eat a lot of junk food. So I don't know <laughs> if it's bad. But I think the, the main one to, to focus on is, of course, not to push your children down any sort of set path, but allow your children to find what they're passionate about and support them in what they're passionate about. Um, and we found two different paths. Other children will find their own paths. Because, you know, you, you do hear some of these parents, they say, oh, they're good at this. And, like, how can we help them pursue that? And not get your, not try to force your, your child down a path that you're, maybe that you're more interested in or you're more passionate about, but rather what the student or what the child is most interested in. What lights them up. Yes, exactly. Tiara, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, like, uh, especially, like, in, in the South Asian community, you know, that's, you know, you, you may want your child to be, you know, like a doctor or engineer. <laughs> so, you know, definitely my, you know, my parents were initially, you know, concerned, you know, for my for my future, you know, like, how am I going to make a living? But, you know, once they saw that, you know, I, I was really good at it and that that's all I wanted to do, they were, they had more comfort, you know, you know, knowing that, you know, I can make it in the, in the field and just. And again, that she'd enjoy it, of course. Yeah, that's the exactly. important part. But just nurturing that. You want them to find a field that they're going to be enjoying. Well, Tiara and Tanish Abraham, thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us.
You're hearing Tiara at our senior honors recital this past May with pianist Brian Sinello. She's singing an original composition using the words from the poem, When I Rise Up, by one of the most accomplished African-American poets and playwrights of the Harlem Renaissance, Georgia Douglas Johnson. After the break, what it's like being the mother to one of the world's youngest Mensons. And find out what planet said Menson would teleport to. Neptune. Take me with you to Neptune. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast, In Absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. So you've never donated to this station before? That's okay. Public Media Giving Days are a great time to make your first gift. Here's how. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. We thought we'd save one of the youngest members of Mensa. For the final segment of today's show about child prodigies, Cash Quest joined that high IQ society at the age of two. At the time she was admitted, she was the youngest member in the world. She joined me with her mom, Sue Atwal, who also runs the Modern Schoolhouse, a specialized daycare facility in Los Angeles. When I interviewed Cash recently, she was a wee three-year-old, but... Well, here's how we got started. All right, Cash, we are speaking just 11 days before your fourth birthday. What are you going to do for your fourth birthday? I'll play. You're going to play? Mm-hmm. What else are we going to have? Cake. Project your voice. Cake. What kind of cake? Princess cake. Don't tell me. Don't. Princess cake. Princess cake. Do you have any princesses that you love? Rapunzel. Rapunzel. Okay. Let's talk about the beginning of your day. When you wake up, what's usually on your mind? Play, eat, read. When you go to bed at night, what kind of things do you think about? How to not go to bed. Like a typical toddler, what is your favorite thing to do when you go to bed? Before we go to bed, what do we do? Mm, Take a bath. Take a bath. We like to stay a long time in the bath, yes. Do you ever sing in the bath? Yes. No. (laughs) You do. What what song did you just sing yesterday? Show Show yourself. Frozen. Do you like Frozen 1 or Frozen 2 better? Well, both. I also heard that you like to learn things. Is there anything that you learned recently that you're excited about? We just did um, safety practice and life skills. So they liked um, (laughs) the fire drill. Um, because they got to stop, drop, and go under the tables. Um, but currently, um, she started to write, and uh, we've been reading a lot more. And she's doing constellations now, which she kind of enjoys. So she picks constellations. The cards that we have have pictures on the back end. Um, so she gets to pick which picture she likes, and then that's how she um goes about um, memorizing each constellation. Whoa. Cash, my favorite planet is Earth, but my second favorite planet is Jupiter 
because it's the biggest planet and it has that big swirling spot on it. What's your favorite planet? Neptune and Jupiter. Why Neptune? What do you love about Neptune? Think about Neptune. What do you know about Neptune? Neptune's it's what? The farthest. The farthest planet. And Jupiter's the biggest planet. If you could transport yourself to Neptune or to Jupiter, which one would you transport yourself to? Neptune. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's so far away from here? Uh, Sue, when did you realize this child is exceptionally intelligent? Yeah, um... I come from an educational background, so I think I had a little understanding of child development from the beginning. Um, but just like any parent, um, I went into this parent, we went to, into this parenthood journey, kind of just wanting to do the best that we could. And just by exposing her to everything and very early on, we did realize she had an incredible memory. And just, you know, we could talk about something or give her a vocabulary word in the day. And then somehow later that day, she's still repeating that word. And it's, you know, a two, three syllabic word. And we were able to kind of go through the alphabet early on colors. And she just had a natural curiosity to that. And, you know, I always had it in the back of my mind. But of course, every parent thinks their child is special in one way or another. So it was just one of those things like, is it really us or is there really something here? Um, and I guess as she grew, we continue to explore that. Cash, what are some of your favorite words lately? We actually started using the word privilege um, and we teach her um, the word consequences and responsibility. So those are things we incorporate um, in everyday language. Those are great words. We would also like to teach those words to to adults. Yes. It's funny. She can't say the word privilege yet, but um, she was talking to me in the car and we're talking about responsibility. And, you know, if we don't handle our responsibilities, um, certain things are a privilege to have. And if we can't do one, then the other can't happen. So she was telling me, you know, if I, I forgot what exactly the conversation in the car was, but she said, oh, if I don't do this, it's a privilege to be able to feed my dogs and take them on a walk and get to go to the dog park. And so, yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly. So when we, you know, have a good day and we take care of everything that we're supposed to, then, you know, everything else falls in line for us. Will you take me back to the day that you found out that Cash has an IQ of 146 and uh, what made you want to do an IQ test? We talked to the pediatrician and, you know, she was just saying certain things of videos, documentation that we had that she was, you know, exceeding above what the child typical her age was performing. And, you know, um, being in childcare, also going, um, putting her on wait list for daycares and just understanding the Los Angeles school system, private schools and, and a lot of other schools, there is lottery, there's wait list and, um, we, I felt like almost had to start as soon as, as, as a two-year wait, um, just to even get your application looked at. And um, this kind of was going to help us be that determining factor. You know, give, doing this IQ test was kind of there to be a supplemental aid for us to support what we kind of saw and then give us direction into how to move forward. Now, when you got the result of 146, how did you react? You know, I think our initial reaction, we were kind of just like, what does this mean? I think it's just, it was a number for us, right? And it was, well, what, okay, what does this mean? You know, we're not, we didn't admin the test or anything. So she's like, no, this is really good. And then we're like, oh, okay. So, you know, how, what do we do? How do we do? And so she's explaining, you know, the memory, the processing, the analytical reasoning, there's different components. And she was just like, 
for her age, she's exceeding beyond the measures. And so, of course, we were excited, um, you know, but again, it was something we crossed for the first time. So we were just learning how to cope and, you know, figure out the next move. Um, Okay, so what does this mean? Are we not doing enough at home? Do we need to change what we're doing? And, um, you know, I think we just took it in for what it was. And then, you know, we moved uh, accordingly with that. What made you want to have her join Mensa? Um, She had a lot of her toddler years in the pandemic, just like, you know, many pandemic babies recently. And it was a way for us to be able to connect and have a supportive community with parents in the area. Um, So the way Mensa is broken down, they have different regional groups. So there's also a greater Los Angeles group, um, different areas. And so there's children and parents that kind of have the same challenges and the same, um, you know, type of children or, you know, on various scales. And it was a way to be able to connect with parents. Um, that kind of go through the same day to day as you as a, and I, I looked at it more as a support system, just because you may not go through the same things if we just go to the park and connect with someone else. And so it was a way to be have an additional support system. That makes me think about how people may understand like, oh, you have a really smart kid. And so there's nothing to worry about. Life is probably going to be even easier for you. It's not, you're not going to have to worry about your kid flunking out of high school or whatever. Right. So in what ways is having a child with such a big, powerful, multifaceted brain, how is it difficult? I wouldn't say it's difficult. Um, We, when we're also talking to her, we're very we try to be conscientious and mindful of the words we use. And so I would say it's more so been a challenge um, and it's challenging in a good way. I think the biggest learning experience in all of this has been that, yes, she may have exceptional abilities in a certain area, but that doesn't take away from her age. The, the biggest misconception, I think um, a lot of families that have seen us or heard us is that, you know, um, she sits down at a table and she's just working all day long, like as if she's a college student or, you know, working a nine to five. And that's not the case. She has a very normal toddler life where she does messy play. She loves to wear dresses and sing and watch movies. And she likes her time in the bath. And, you know, we have our tantrums. We go on ice cream. We do toddler classes. Um, She's in preschool. You know, we, we have a very quote unquote, normal life. Right. She's still a kid. Yes. And I think that's what, if you've never met her um, or any other child that's, you know, has gifted abilities, um, I think it's hard to fathom like, well, if they know all of this, they must be on their best behavior at all times. And again, it's not, it's, you have different challenges, um, you know, maybe they earn their independence a lot faster. So you're hearing no at the age of, 18 months and two years old versus having to deal with it at four. So it's coming at you like a speed rail and you're just learning how to do every day to day and continuously at their pace. And sometimes it can be a fast pace. And like I said, it it was just, okay, what's going to be next? And am I going to be able to provide? And what are we going to do if this happens and so forth? Hey, Cash, when your parents say something and they forget that they said it, do you remind them? Do you hold mommy and daddy accountable? Yeah. What do you say to mommy when you and daddy if mommy and daddy make a mistake? Do you know anything that you can think of? No. No. Um, very much so. I can answer for her. She's a little camera shy. Um, okay. um she won't forget anything that we promised. Um, So if we say we're going to the park um, on the weekend and the weekend rolls around, hey, we were supposed to go to the park. She will get out of bed nine times every night to remind you that she didn't get her chapstick. We didn't follow the same bedtime routine or we didn't do something we had promised we were going to do that day. Um, She holds you accountable. Yes. And um, so it does definitely keep us on our toes to make sure, again, we're a few steps ahead of her before she can throw it at us. Cash, they promised you a princess cake for your birthday, right? Yeah. What color do you think that's going to be? Yeah. Red. What's your favorite color? Yeah. Red. What color is Neptune? Yeah. 
I wonder when you are out and about just living life, do people underestimate cash? Um, I don't think it's underestimating. Um, I've never felt that way. I think it can be difficult in terms of when you see her being a toddler and having tantrums or behaving in a certain way. Um, but we also don't, you know, kind of go out there and like, yeah, the, she has an IQ of 146. So I think unless people have known her or are in her everyday life, um, do they see it? But they also see it in different aspects of her maturity, um, the way she speaks, um, just different involvement through her social and emotional. And I think the biggest thing for us has been making sure she's around children her age group. Um, we don't want her to obviously grow up too fast. Um, but we want to make sure that we are, again, giving her everything that she needs in the in the now. Do you feel any sense of pressure? I mean, I, I'm not a parent. I'm not going to be a parent. So I, I don't, <laughs> I cannot fathom what it's like on almost any level. But I wonder if you feel some pressure on your own self in a way that maybe other parents don't when you have a child with these abilities, like you want to make the most of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the same time you want to, like we've been talking about, let her be a kid and play and make mistakes and do yeah. all the things that any other kid would do. Like, how do you feel like you're straddling those two poles? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I feel pressure. Um, I've been in education. So I think again, prior to having a child, um, your preconceived notion, everyone's like, oh, your child's going to be so smart. You're a teacher. You know this. You got this. And it's a little like, OK, motherhood is a completely different journey than being an educator. And there's no way to really prep for motherhood. You can read all the books. You can do all the classes. You can hear people's terrible advice and great advice. And you can hear their horrors, labor stories, and you can have a smooth sailing labor Um I think nothing honestly prepares you for it. And I think it's really just making sure not necessarily what others feel and understanding my feelings, but just making sure I'm giving her the hundred percent that she needs to continue to thrive. Hey, Cash, you learn a lot from adults and you learn a lot from books and maybe you learn a lot from some TV shows. And if you use an iPad or a computer, you learn, you learn, you learn. What would you like to teach adults? To be a leader. What are some ways maybe I could be a better leader? To be a good leader, you have to be a leader first. A listener first listener first yeah that's a good idea so we're working on that yeah she's doing a wonderful job hey cash do you think okay cash if there was one message that you could send out into the world just blast out to all the adults who run this place you could tell the whole world one thing what message would you send the whole world I am strong, brave, and I am unstoppable. I'm caring, I am kind, and I am Cash Quest. You are Cash Quest. <laughs> Thank you. That's beautiful. Uh, one final question for you, Sue. I'm wondering um, about the ways that you've grown in the four years, almost four years, that Cash has been on the planet. What has she been teaching you? How have you changed? Oh, um, I think I changed, um, you know, the second she was born. Um, there's something that happens when you have a child and it changes you. And I think people look at change as bad. Um, change is a part of growth. And ultimately, as you know, we sit here, it's we reflect back on the time we were preparing to have a kid and you know, what it was going to be like. And now we're here and we're still figuring out what are the next steps. Um, I think it's, it's taught me patience. It's taught me the value of family. Um, and ultimately, I think she's 
help guide me towards my purpose in life. Well, Cash Quest and Sue Atwell, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Audacious is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski, with help from our interns, Anya Grandalski and Mira Raju at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious and you'll always get to hear the show a day early. Plus, if you like this conversation I had with young people, you might also really like the show we did with an eight-year-old who has a stutter. He talks about what he hopes people will learn from him. And there was this other episode where we talked with the inventor of a totally new kind of hazmat suit during the 2014 Ebola outbreak. That inventor was also eight years old. You can hear all of our episodes at ctpublic.org slash audacious or wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, our show turned two recently, just in time to join Mensa, I guess. And a few of you got us some gifts in the form of high ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, like this one from Irene P., as read by the brilliant Sophia Martinez. Audacious podcast rocks. Kayon finds the most interesting topics to explore. She never disappoints. Even the most sensitive, controversial topics are handled intelligently, looking at both sides and in between with empathy and grace. I consider this podcast brain food with a side of humor. I always leave the table satisfied. On behalf of my hardworking team, thank you, Irene P. And hey, if you leave a review, I mean a, a nice one, or a beautifully worded critical one, that's cool too, we can take it, we'll read it on the air. And you will feel so good about yourself. Send me your reactions to today's show or the world in general on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Hi, hi.